Date Nighters, Tony back with Beautiful Brie. We pray your October, I guess it's almost November, is going well. Thanksgiving's coming. What are we going to be doing this year for Mom's Thanksgiving? Mom's house with the sisters. Mm. Are you making paleo stuff? Of course. Ah. What? You going to go for it? Oh, I want to eat. I want to be a man. You go for it. Just bring my probiotics. <laughs> well, let's get this going. Well, you thought that was funny because this, <laughs> this episode is so content heavy. Uh, we'll likely need to do a second Uh, Talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, of course, with the biblical principles, but also trying to answer a lot of the real-life questions that come with it. Yes. And we'll hopefully break that up and do the real-life stuff maybe next week or get to a little bit here at the end this week. So, my love, are you ready for this? I am. Ethan, are you ready? Let's roll. So I think that we receive more questions on this topic, at least privately, uh, not publicly, than most anything else. Uh, People who have been saved out of a broken life, uh, divorces, shattered relationships, and there's big decisions to make then, consequences that remain, uh, kids to guide, financial challenges, and all of that. And it's something that we don't hear discussed a lot in conservative evangelical circles, but it needs to be, because over half the people in our churches have struggled through a failed marriage or grown up in a broken home. Yes, the kids and I were just praying for their friends whose family's going through divorce. It's so devastating. It is. And due to the complexity, uh, we just can't cover everything today. So we'll hopefully do a couple episodes on the topic. And if you would like to dig deeper on anything we talk about, try John Murray's classic, which was titled Divorce from the 1960s. That's more of a reformed book. Also, Jim Neuheiser's book, more recently and more modern, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage, which is thicker, but it's not technical. It has little tiny chapters, which are easy to read and is really a great modern resource. And part of the ACBC tools. Yeah. And this topic is important to Bree and me, you know, something that we've shared multiple times over the years, and most of our NBC family knows, is Bree's biological dad left the home when she was little, so she experienced the heartache of a split home, Uh, and I was a very immoral teenager, uh, married at 19 and divorced quickly after, unfaithfulness in that short marriage, and Bree was part of that party life, and while my ex-wife moved on to marry another guy, the Lord really let me eat with the pigs for a couple years, and I lost a lot of weight. My hair started to fall out. I still remember the night when he gave me a new heart, hating my sin, weeping in a pillow, and was made a slave to righteousness. So I went, I reconciled with the elders of my church because I'd been an intern in the band for a summer. And I'll never forget, actually, the guy named Steve, who's in glory now. He's in heaven. He was just weeping. And he said, this is what church is all about. This is what church is all about. Um, And then I called to reconcile with my ex-wife and her new husband. I even called her parents to beg their forgiveness. And all I can say is that, like Paul said, the Lord mercied me. Because literally a year later, I was asked to serve in the college group. A few months later, I met you, Bree, again, uh, after she went off to Bible college and dated the class president and all that. She had heard that I was teaching for the first time in the college group. And after church that first night, we saw each other and we just, at the church parking lot, confessed sin until 7 p.m. What was it? Starbucks until 10 p.m. And I think Denny's until four or five in the morning. Uh, and it was only a few weeks later, we went to the pastor and asked if it would be biblical to court. We got his blessing. Never kissed until a year later when we walked the aisle. I was 25 then. Uh, a year later, the church asked if I'd serve on staff and I cried right in front of the pastor at mm-hmm. Lucille's. 
And the rest is history. Here we are 24 years later, Philippines for Missions, Bible College, planting the church, Master's Seminary, uh, really imperfect, but progressing. It's all grace. Yes. And you didn't do this alone. You had pastors, eventually men from TMS, and even an entire denomination come around you. Yeah, it was pretty It was pretty special. Um, but repentance, we need to be clear, isn't done in a vacuum. And I think to your point, it's, it's part of the church. It's submitting ourselves to a community of faith, to godly men, and truly asking for discipleship. Amen. And I'll just add from my vantage point that when I talk with ladies, I always tell them that I don't make excuses for my sin, even though I experience brokenness in the home growing up. My sin is my sin, and I've broken every one of the Ten Commands. I deserve wrath. And if anyone ever thinks anything positive of our life or marriage or that we're able to help others, it's only by the power of God through the Word of God, because we are just simply slaves of righteousness to the one who set us free. So good. I'll just say our hope in this episode is first that you hear God's heart for marriage, But also that if you've blown it, know that Christ transforms. Who he justifies, he sanctifies. Who he saves for heaven, he saves for holiness. And even when we start wrong or when the consequences follow us, we can still finish right. And we can give God all the glory for that. Amen. So let's make sure that we have all the biblical principles in front of us here. And then we can use that as a springboard for decision making and answer kind of the real life questions. And if we don't get to all of that today, we'll do another pod next week. Should we do a disclaimer on marriage itself? Yeah, we can. Totally. We're assuming most of you are by now initiated into the evangelical reform view of marriage because this is a a marriage podcast and we've hit these things for a year. Uh, And no matter what culture says or psychology or sociology, marriage is an institution given by God, one man, one woman for life, where the husband protects and provides, the wife is his helper, both for mutual satisfaction, procreation, and ultimately the glory of God. I was going to say help meet. Ooh, I Uh, love that. technical word. Yes. I love being your help meet. Oh, you are my help meet. You help (laughs) me. make meat for Thanksgiving, but it's paleo. (laughs) So that's assumed. That's the foundation. So let me work through the principles and I'm doing this quickly. So if you want to go deeper, I already mentioned Neuheiser's book. All right. Principle number one, here it is. God's design for marriage is lifelong. God's design for marriage is lifelong. And that's right from Jesus in Matthew 19, who, when the Pharisees were trying to get in one of their little spit spats, he quotes the Genesis account and he adds, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So all Bible believing Christians agree that divorce is contrary to God's design and both husband and wife must do everything in their power to remain faithful to the covenant. And we need to grieve about how the marriage covenant is taken so lightly in culture now, Mm -hmm. really going back to when Reagan passed the no fault divorce clause in the 80s, and we need to be clear on all the invalid reasons that people justify divorce. Like, quote, my spouse isn't a Christian, or I wasn't a Christian when we got married, or I need to get out of this marriage, or my spouse went mental, or we're no longer in love, or too young, or whatever. I owe myself happiness. None of which are biblical precedent for leaving a marriage, and we'll hit those more next week. And in these cases, even when it's extremely difficult, we'd urge believers to continue to be faithful to the vows they made before the Lord. He will continue to be your joy, Philippians 4.4. And we've been in enough tough counseling cases to really say that with compassion, because it's easy to state the biblical principles but not as easy to obey it in real life. For example, when a young woman has married a man who professed in quote Christ, but then shows his true colors, being lazy or enslaved to pornography or abusive towards her, even threatening to move out, it's not so simple as for life because there's a host of extenuating questions that come. What about, you know, if he hurts me Mm. or do I need him to file first? Am I allowed to remarry? All to say with every principle we give, we're doing so with empathy attached. Absolutely. And like I said, we'll try to tackle that at the end or next week. And principle number two, divorce was permitted as an exception. 
And this is something that we believers need to really dwell deeply on. God's original plan was wife for life, but scripture tells us divorce was only allowed because of the fall, meaning believers should not like divorce. We should hate divorce the way God does and only pursue it as a last alternative. And that's from Matthew 19, 7, which reads, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you Mm. to divorce your wives. Yeah, and that's so self-explanatory. Jesus is correcting the Jewish idea that they could divorce one another for any reason at all, like America today. And he's showing them that the gravity of pursuing sinful divorce, he's showing them how serious it is, and even saying that even legal divorce was merely a concession. Because sin produces broken relationships in a variety of confusing, sometimes unlivable situations, which again is why we need to be humble, be patient, redemptive when helping people navigate these things, but always say divorce is the last recourse after we've tried everything else. And if you're by chance asking, why does God hate divorce so much? The answers are so obvious. First, it breaks a promise made with him. Second, it harms the innocent spouse. Third, it harms the children. And fourth, it can even harm the larger community. And I think America is a prime example for that, right? Three, four generations ago, men said, hey, we're leaving the home. Women said, we're going back to work. And everybody said, don't discipline the kids anymore, right? It was all Freudian psychology. And now just look around us. From the White House to the schoolhouse, they're marching in the streets and they're burning down our cities. So heartbreaking. Which leads us to principle number three. The Bible gives specific grounds for divorce. So the idea is a lifelong marriage. The Bible does give grounds for divorce as a concession, but they're very, very specific. And this again is Jesus in Matthew 19. I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And of course, Paul adds on to that an abandonment clause in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So the New Testament only gives those two reasons, sexual infidelity or desertion to file mm-hmm. for legal divorce. Yeah, and the word Jesus uses is pornea, a Greek word, general sexual sins, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and pedophilia. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. About you know, People ask a lot of questions about just how far that sexual sin could go. And the transgender stuff would certainly fit in there too. Because when one partner violates the unity and privacy of the marriage bed, it puts the faithful partner in an extremely vulnerable position. And obviously, if an unbeliever walks out on a believing spouse, again, that believer has no recourse and they can move on. Because like Paul says in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen, God has called us to peace. Would that include pre-conversion sins too? It has to, or it makes marital sin virtually unpardonable. And it makes Christian service only for a really tiny group. And that's why John MacArthur says, quote, there's nothing in salvation that demands a particular marital status. The Apostle Paul instructs believers to recognize God providentially allows the circumstances they find themselves in when coming to Christ. So, if they were called while single, then they're free to stay single or marry. If they were called while married, then they shouldn't divorce. Or if they were divorced and can't reconcile, then they're free to remain single or to be remarried, end quote. So God's reason for allowing divorce at all is to protect the innocent party and the children from a hard-hearted spouse. Because Mm -hmm. without recourse, the faithful spouse or kids could end up feeling like a slave locked up and without any hope. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important for Christians to seek pastoral counsel on these things. And this is key for churches to practice true Matthew 18 discipline, which you just don't see in churches anymore, because it helps set the guardrails of protection and really protects the faith. Party. For example, when pastors properly investigate a situation and they see a professing Christian violate the marriage covenant and refuse to repent during the discipline process, 
then they can actually tell the entire church to treat that person like an unbeliever, for there's a departure from the faith. And that provides clarity for the spouse, it provides clarity for the kids, it provides clarity for the church friends. I honestly don't know how anyone operates without biblical church discipline. And that's why so much of evangelism nowadays, or evangelicalism, or just the church at large, is nothing but like a Jerry Springer show. So what about when an unbiblical divorce took place and the guilty partner later repents? Well, we see that all the time as part of my story. Because we live in an era of soft teaching where you pray the prayer, you walk the aisle, you're saved by seven, countless kids hit their teen years and they just go rogue. And the churches call it backsliding. But biblically speaking, they were never saved. And that's why we see so many 20-somethings, for example, at Mission Bible in the baptistry Mm -hmm. saying, I'm actually saved now. He made me new. I'm a sinner who needs a savior. See, God's grace is life-giving, and here's the key, and life-transforming. So when a guilty partner later repents, the grace of God is operative at that point of repentance. And that sign of true repentance is a desire to please God and implement 1 Corinthians 7, which would involve willingness to reconcile to their spouse or stay single, or if not possible because the ex is remarried or isn't saved, then still confess sin in a period of discipleship, and even with careful pastoral guidance, eventually marry again. The point is they just want to do whatever God wants them to do. And right there is where all the real life questions begin for people. Of course. What qualifies as sex sin worthy of divorce? Uh, what if my former spouse wants to remarry? How do I how do I tell the kids? What if the consequences follow? Blended families, alimony, custody, and we can't answer them all. We'll try to we'll try to come back and do that another time next week. So Bree and I will keep recording here, and next week we'll tackle most of those questions that pop up naturally, along with recommending a few resources. I think that's key. Um, especially if you're in marital recovery mode or with a blended family, is getting you in the right book, stepmom, stepdad, how to have your family come together and start, in quote, stepping together. Yes, and our big prayer this week is that everyone listening knows if you've committed your life to Christ, God is with you. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. And even if things are difficult in your marriage, obey him. Trust him with the consequences. I want to reiterate that. I know that all of this is a monster, just a meteoric topic with a ton of emotions and sleepless nights and not in your stomach pain. And, and sometimes it's even hard to listen to Christian podcasts on this stuff because it's like, man, you guys make this stuff sound so easy, but I'm living it. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're praying. We pray you're confident first in God's offer of forgiveness and new life in Christ. Second, in his clear plan for marriage, but also his path to restoration and that he's a God of second chances, that he's not done with your life. And if you're straying from your marriage, you need to repent and go home. If you're an in an unloving marriage, then trust him, seek counsel, and hold on. Or if you've just downright blown it and life's a mess, your marriage is over, your children despise you, there's still time. Mm. Until the grave, there's time. So turn back, go to your pastor, call your spouse, work to reconcile. And listen, the Bible's chock full of people who started over. Paul, Peter, David, Moses, Rahab, go on and on. Me, everyone else in history. And all of our sin required the slaughter of a perfect lamb. And everyone's the same height at Calvary. Everybody's on their knees there. Everyone's on their faces. And the same blood covers each sin. So today, trust him. Turn back. Hold on and go home. Amen. So Bree and I will keep recording. We're going to do something like the top 15 questions people ask on divorce. And then we'll make sure that this week, if you would do this, pick up Jim Neuheiser's book, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And then we'll be back next week to really kind of paint in this outline with some, in quote, real life color. Let's pray. 
Father, this is a tough topic, an excruciating subject for over half our audience who've committed relational sin upon another or had relational sin conducted or committed upon themselves. Some are laying in bed even now with guilt, others with hurt, others hard-hearted. And we ask that you would use this episode to both break and to mend, to convict and to encourage for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our homes, our kids, and most of all, for the all-encompassing sake of your great glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Date Nighters, we love you. Thank you to Ethan for producing the FTG team and our Mission Bible family. Grace, grace, all is grace. So until next time, keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family.